Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Rice Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is Katherine Kinsey, our Education and Events Coordinator. Welcome back, Katherine. Thank you. It's been a couple weeks. Yeah, it has. So you have a good excuse for letting our intern do a, you know, a wonderful <laughs> job filling in for you, but you made a baby. Yes, yeah. I am 13 weeks pregnant right now, and but yeah, no, morning sickness has been rough, so I've been home a lot, but... It has been rough, you know. <laughs> um, the pro-life movement is told we don't care about babies and women and all that, even <laughs> though most of our movement is run by women, but... You know, we recognize that pregnancy is not always an easy thing, right. uh, and we'll get to that at the end of the podcast, but, uh, um, you know, that's still, yep. you know, not a reason <laughs> to go out and take the lives of babies, and right. so you're saving babies and making babies yes. at the same time. It's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about uh, Petition Drive a little bit, talk about everyone's favorite Senate candidate, John James. Um we're gonna talk about an abortion myth, and then we're gonna close with that uh, with a personal, a couple personal stories about uh, about unplanned pregnancy. So, uh, petition drive. We're in week. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. A week a lot. Several weeks. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're we're in the thick of it. Um, we're closing in on it being about uh, I don't know about sixty percent done. Uh, mm -hmm. We have the little bit end of October here, and then the uh, all of November, maybe. Uh, it all depends on how fast we get signatures in. We were at 200,000 uh, at the end of September, beginning of October, the halfway point. And so uh, we continue to get in thousands of petitions a week. Uh, and uh, hopefully we get more and more in so we can get done early because it's not fun right collecting signatures <laughs> in the cold is it Catherine? no that not as fun no no but we've done it before we did it uh with a partial birth abortion uh petition drive uh about uh, 15 years ago we did that in the winter and i remember being a student freezing my <laughs> tail end off collecting signatures so yeah. uh it we'll can do it be done to. it can be done um one thing that would really help us get done earlier is uh and this is our pet peeve in the office, Catherine, <laughs> is we're checking signatures as they come in uh, and, you know, and tracking them and, you know, entering the database, et cetera. Uh, we're still getting July signatures in and yeah. it is almost Halloween. Yeah. Pretty big delay there. I mean, I don't know if you want to guess the percentage, but I'm getting, we're getting a lot of petitions in from mm -hmm. October, but I still get all the time, so, uh, July, August, mm -hmm. September. Um, so people, if you have petition signatures out there, uh, and you're sitting around and they're filled out, send them in, you know, mm -hmm. um, cause we got to count them all and it takes a couple of weeks to count them all and prepare all the petitions and 400,000 is a very big number, yes. uh, on our end. And so the sooner you get that done, the better. Uh, and we'll give everyone two weeks warning. Uh, when it's time to send petitions in, and that doesn't mean stop collecting, that just means we have two weeks left, uh, we're close, and we need to finish these two weeks to get done. Um, and then, of course, we'll let everyone know. If you haven't collected signatures yet, 
Uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no. Uh, if you haven't collected signatures yet to ban the dismemberment abortion procedure in the state of Michigan, the most common late-term abortion procedure, uh, make sure you go to our petition drive website, which is michiganvalueslife.org. You can request petitions. The instructions are right on the petitions. All the information about the procedure and the petition drive itself is on the website. Yeah. So go there. It's not too late. Got to get it done. And as soon as we get the petition drive done, Catherine, we have to worry yeah. about the next huge <laughs> get it done thing, which is the 2020 election. Uh, of course, you may have heard there's a presidential election going on. Uh, yeah. Maybe. That's <laughs> something that's happening. Have you watched any of the debates, the Democratic uh, presidential debates? No, I've kind of tried to stay away from it, but it, it, I've watched bits and pieces. And, yeah, and just the news in general is so unpleasant. And, um, you know, Twitter is a wretched hive of scum and villainy, no matter <laughs> where you stand on the political spectrum. Uh but uh, so we're just trying to keep our head down and, uh, you know, work with the voters. Mm -hmm. uh, some good news about the election um, is uh, we have John James running for United States Senate in Michigan. Uh, it's so critical that we keep the pro-life or and expand the pro-life majority mm -hmm. in the U.S. Senate. You know, if we can get 60 pro-life votes, uh, that means pro-abortion members can't filibuster legislation. Yeah. Uh, and it also, if a pro-life majority stays there, that means we still can continue to appoint pro-life elected officials uh, and judges, of course, if Donald Trump is still the president. Uh, if he's not, then that pro-life majority is a break on, you know, uh, crazy people being sent to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, crazy people who believe the Constitution forces taxpayers to fund abortion, which, mm -hmm. again, I can't find that anywhere in the United States Constitution. <laughs> um so uh, the news was that he and Gary Peters are neck and neck in the polls, yeah. uh, which isn't too surprising. Uh, Gary Peters is not very well known. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Debbie Stabenow, every six years when it's election time, you know, you can't not yeah. see her in the state of Michigan. <laughs> She's uh, every six years. She loves the state of Michigan. Gary Peters, on the other hand, is kind of a low profile guy and he doesn't. Yeah. You, a lot of people don't even know he's the senator. He doesn't have the advantage like uh, Debbie Stabenow or his predecessor, Carl Levin, of being the senator for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so they're neck and neck, which is really good news this far out. And uh, John James has also been outraising Gary Peters. Now, I know a lot of people make hay out of money in politics. Uh, money is not everything. I've seen candidates with very poor funding, swamp candidates with a lot of funding, and vice versa. It does help. Uh, so it's encouraging that uh, John James is raising that amount of money because it signifies that people believe he has a chance to win uh, and people are willing to get behind him. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing yeah, with definitely. the money is it's not necessarily how it's spent. It's the recognition that people think he's uh, has confidence. Yeah. And so that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'll be able to outspend uh, Gary, uh, what's his name? Gary, <laughs> Mike Peter. Peters, Peter, Peter Peters. Peter Peters. Peter Gary. No, Gary Peters, our U.S. <laughs> yeah. Senator. Sorry, I, I don't even know who that guy is. Uh, uh, you know, he worked at Central. I don't like Central. Oh, yeah. But that's another story. Um, so we'll see how that uh, continues to shape out. You know, the election is more than a year away, and I'm sure you're already sick of it, but uh, strap yourself in because you got 12 more months until 
President Trump emerges from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to see a shadow, whether he gets four more years. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so let's talk about uh, abortion <clears throat> myths. And this gets back to our uh, dismemberment abortion uh, petition drive uh, to ban it. Uh, so throughout the year, we've been doing these abortion myths, highlighting one a month from February up till December. Uh, kind of like a top 10 list of bad arguments that you're going to see out mm -hmm. there. And that's October 1. Number three is, uh, and we've touched on late-term abortions in this myth series, but there is a myth, and there's a lot of people out there who think late-term abortions aren't even legal. Have you run into this, Catherine? Yeah, I think a lot of people just kind of assume that, oh, that only happens really early on, and you don't have to worry about it later on, really. Um, but no, it's definitely legal. Definitely legal. Uh, and it just, it flabbergasts me that people don't realize that, but uh, it's for a very good reason that they have been misled or, uh, I don't want to say it's a good reason they haven't gone out and researched it themselves, but there's a reason that people have been misled. And that all has to do with Roe versus Wade, right, Catherine? Right. <laughs> so as we've gone through this petition drive, uh, as we've gone through just this year with all the activity in the states and with the U.S. Supreme Court and all the speculation, you know, we've really realized that, and I know we've touched on it, but we can, apparently can't touch on it enough, is that people don't understand mm -hmm. Roe versus Wade at all. Right. Yeah, it's, it is. It's scary. It is scary. I mean, it's been around for 47 years. It's the subject of every presidential election, every judicial nomination. People don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that people don't believe that late-term abortions are legal is because when Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973, mm -hmm. they created a uh, trimester framework. Now, according to the Supreme Court, in the first trimester under Roe versus Wade, a uh, woman can have an abortion, no questions asked, the state can't do anything. Mm -hmm. In the second trimester, which back then was theoretically up to the point of viability, uh, the state can regulate abortions in some ways, uh, like where it's performed, who is performing it, basic things like that. But a woman still has an absolute right to take the life of her child. In the third trimester, which back then was after, was generally after viability, uh, the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade said states can ban abortions. Mm, but, but. <laughs> but any state that does that, uh, or uh, how, you know, they word it differently, they say can prescribe or, you know, <laughs> um, has to have exceptions for the life of the mother, which every pro-life law does anyway, but also the health of the mother. Yes. And a lot of, for a lot of people and a lot of, uh, reporters at the time and still to this day, as far as they're concerned, it stops right there. Oh, well, the Supreme Court said states can ban late-term abortions. Um, and there's a health exception, so that means the only late-term abortions that are happening are for health reasons. And that's where they leave it. Yep. But no, you can't do that. On the exact same day, January 22nd, 1973, by the exact same vote in a case that was meant to be read together with Roe versus Wade... The U.S. Supreme Court decided a case out of Georgia called Doe versus Bolton. And in Doe versus Bolton, they provide that health definition. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And they said it can be, in light of all factors, relevant to a woman's health and well-being. Uh, so, Catherine, what is it included in all factors? Um, you know, emotional, <laughs> spiritual. Is there anything that doesn't, material. all includes everything, right? Is yeah. anything not included in all? It's, it's, yeah. Everything in your life affects your well-being, right? Right. You know, uh, so in other words... Uh, everything is health. And so states can ban late-term abortions as long as they allow it for any reason. Yeah. That's, does that make logical sense? It doesn't make logical sense, but that's that's the case. It makes great public relations sense, though, because <laughs> you can hide behind uh, this health exception. You can hide behind people's lack of knowledge about Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless you go and read the cases yourself or you stumble upon a pro-life publication uh, that explains it for you, you just don't know that Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton allow abortion for any reason through online months of pregnancy. And this confusion still happens today. You know, in Michigan, if you look on pro-abortion websites where they say what the law is, they will say that Michigan bans abortion after viability. Mm-hmm. So if you get an abortion after viability in Michigan, Catherine, uh, can the abortionist be convicted generally? Well, not really. Not no. really. The only time because... we... Because of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton. Mm-hmm. So the only time a abortionist in Michigan has ever been convicted for an abortion past point of viability was in 2001. It was a case called People versus Hagera. And the abortionist got caught falsifying information. In other words, he lied about the health exception. So we could prove that there was no health exception because he lied. If he had done a better job lying, Catherine, (laughs) he'd still be performing abortions today. And there would have been nothing that we could do to stop him. Uh, And so people just get so confused about that. But in actuality, yes, late-term abortions are happening. And... As we've done in other myth entries, you know, uh, they happen a lot. There's a lot of late-term abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're happening for elective reasons. Even pro-abortion resources, uh, sources will have to admit that, yes, most late-term abortions, in that study, after 20 weeks, most abortions are done for uh, stuff that we would call elective. You know, they try to say, oh, well, you know, there, there is no real elective reason. Everything is really necessary yeah. in their mind. But it's not for the woman's life being at risk. Uh, it's not for, you know, sad cases where we think the child still has value even if they have a disability. You know, you, you having a disability doesn't make you an unperson. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not for reasons like that. It's not for any of those reasons. Right. Um, and so really there's no excuse, mm-hmm. but there's still a critical mass of people out there who just believe late-term abortions aren't really legal right? or don't even happen. And then when you encounter these people, and this is a frustrating thing as a pro-life person, is how do you undo the gaslighting? Mm-hmm. It's difficult. It is. Have, have you ever had a conversation, Catherine, where you have, and bear with me for a moment, people. <laughs> have you ever had a conversation where you've successfully convinced a person who's been so gaslighted into believing that late-term abortions are not really legal, convincing them that it's legal? It's it's tough. I mean, I've had, I feel like I've had conversations where a little more understanding comes in, but there's definitely conversations where just, no, they, they do not want to accept it. 
Right. Now, it's important for people to understand that the people who can't accept it generally aren't people in the middle. Uh, it's generally the people who are rabidly in support of abortion. And so um, I, don't be discouraged when you have conversations with those type of people. Uh, even if, you know, it's very rare that you can get someone on the spot to just totally change their mind, mm -hmm. you know. If we're wrong, then we tend to dig in. That's just human mm -hmm. nature. But if you keep hitting a person with enough facts, mm -hmm. you keep having conversations with them, you give them an opportunity to re-examine the information. So uh, if you're out there and you run into someone who believes one of these myths and you have something you can show them that says, no, that's not true, uh, and they don't believe you, uh, don't be discouraged. You did your job. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't control the other person's thinking. You only can present them the information. It's ultimately their responsibility for uh, not believing bad information. Right. Well, I would encourage you to go to our website, rtl.org. You can find more on those myths and uh, just dealing with those myths. Um, one thing I want to briefly touch on that I think we should talk about in the next podcast is um, uh, a lot of people hide behind their petition drive. They, they're calling it undemocratic because it's oh, not yes. going to the voters. And um, no, it's very democratic. Uh, what's not democratic is Roe versus Wade mm -hmm. uh, and people who hide behind Roe versus Wade to keep abortion illegal. Uh, and they hide behind the health exception, and they hide behind this misinformation. It's very frustrating. So I think you'll get a good rant from me <laughs> in a couple weeks. Yes. Um, but let's move on today. So uh, also on rtl.org, uh, we've added two new personal stories on our website, and we have quite a few from people who have had to deal with pro-life issues uh, from all sorts of perspectives. Uh, and we have two uh, that we posted this month that I think are really good. And the first one is one that you did. Mm -hmm. uh, and the lady's name is Trisha. And the hook of the story was, uh, and you can fill in more, but uh, she got a, a call or a text from a person who knew them. Her and her husband said, will you adopt my child? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do when you get a call like that, Catherine? Right. I know it's, that would be a very interesting situation. But so in their case, they um, had actually been wanting to adopt for a while um, because they, could, they couldn't have children themselves. Um, and then when they started the adoption process, um, I guess there was actually quite a long period of time where they were never, you know, paired with a child to become adoptive parents. Um, so then at that point, I guess they had almost kind of given up, but then, yeah, an acquaintance, uh, messaged them through Facebook. Um, and she, yeah, I was through Facebook. She had, um, I guess, you know, been in that situation, an unplanned pregnancy, and she didn't want her family to know about it, and she wasn't ready to care for the child. And she was on, actually on her way to the appointment, but she remembered... At the abortionist. Yeah. On her way on, to get on the an way, abortion. Yeah, to an abortion appointment. But then she remembered uh, Trisha and Scott and how they really wanted a child. So then she reached out to them. And the happy ending, you know, is <laughs> the child is now, you know, with them and very happy. Yeah. So a couple important things in the story, you know... Um, if you want to do an infant adoption, um, you know, there, there's a long 
a lot of people, when they talk about abortion, uh, they say, oh, well, what are we going to do with all these kids? And there's all these children waiting for adoption. Why don't you care for them? Um, most of adoption waiting lists, or excuse me, for people, children waiting to be adopted mm -hmm. are uh, children in foster care, uh, children in tough situations, uh, children have disabilities or developmental disabilities, or there's behavior issues. Um, and those children need to be adopted too. You know, they need a, a loving home. But uh, in a lot of those situations, it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And adoption and, and for anything can be hard. But when it comes to infant adoptions, it is really hard to adopt yeah. an infant because there are a lot of waiting lists. And right. so the idea that you know, if, if instead of having an abortion, women actually let these children live and they're all going to grow up in foster care and not be taken care of, it's just ridiculous. Right. Because there That's are the long waiting lists uh, for infants. Mm -hmm. And um, if you ask a pro-life person to take care of a child, you know, if, if this is very interesting. Um, yeah. So I saw an article. It was a uh, op-ed in a, a paper in southeast Michigan. And, and I'm calling BS on this. The person said, well, I, walked, I talked to some protesters outside of an abortion clinic. And I, and I said, if I have a child that needs an adoption to save his life, would you do it? And they said, no. Hmm. Does that sound like any pro-life person you know, Catherine? No. No way. I mean, we're a big movement. I'm sure there's selfish people in our movement. Right. Uh, you know, you can't not have human failings in such a large group of people. But... If you walked up to a bunch of sidewalk counselors and said, mm -hmm. I will only let my child live if one of you takes him for adoption. Yeah. That doesn't <laughs> really ever happen, sadly. But if it did, probably a person would step up, mm -hmm. wouldn't it? Yeah. 99% of the time. So I'm going to call BS on this gentleman who went sure. to an abortion facility and asked a protester. That sounds like one of those stories where, you know, I talked to my five-year-old about this macroeconomic policy <laughs> and my five-year-old expressed skepticism about, you know, like, no, your five-year-old right. does not have greater economic education <laughs> than a PhD student. Um, no, you didn't talk to an abortion protester, sir. Uh, but... Uh, you know, pro-life people are willing to step up. And in this case, you had a couple uh, that was totally willing to do that. And when they got the, not the call or the text, but the Facebook yep. message, I guess Facebook's <laughs> good for something, Catherine, right? Yeah. <laughs> Saved a life in this case. Um, when they got the Facebook message, they said yes. Mm -hmm. And their answer saved the life. Uh, and I think that speaks for a lot of pro-life people. Yeah. And so we worry, you know, what are we going to do with all the babies if we allow them to live the horror We'll make it work. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really not an excuse to hide behind, you know, the gruesome reality of abortion. Mm -hmm. um, and so the child is uh, two, three? Yeah, I couple think years. around two years old. Yeah, and this person contacted us with their story a couple months ago, um, just after New York, uh, mm -hmm. you know, passed their law. And we had a couple people contact us wanting to do personal stories. and took us a while to get back mm -hmm. to all of them. But... She just felt inspired to share her personal example of what pro-life people can do to save a life. Yeah. And adoption's a wonderful option. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I, I know adopted people. I've, I've adopted people in my family. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. good that they're with us. And mm -hmm. what a terrible world where we think a child shouldn't be welcome. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can go up and read that story on rtl.org. 
Uh, and maybe ask yourself if you're out there, what happens, what, you know, what would you say right. if someone messaged you on Facebook, would you do that to save a life? And I'm sure, uh, you know, 99% of pro-life people would say yes, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, this is why we do the work that we do is to save lives. Yes. And uh, we got another personal story that we added uh, that's doing, uh, we post on social media, is doing really well on Instagram <laughs> um, because she uh, she has a great uh, photographer for her baby pictures. Oh, yes. That certainly helps. <laughs> um, but a uh, story, and it is by, um, uh, it comes out of the west side of the state out of uh kind of the uh kind of holland zealand area mm -hmm. um which is uh well known for being um uh, a very uh, religious and christian mm -hmm. uh, part of the state very tight-knit communities and uh this story was all about uh how sometimes you know that's a good thing mm -hmm. sometimes that can be a bad thing Yes, yeah, so this was uh, another story of an unplanned pregnancy. In this case, she was 17 years old when she found out she was pregnant and basically um, just really terrified as a high schooler and in that kind of community where, you know, you're scared for people to find out and what are people going to think and all of that. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, in this story, it really gets in depth of, like, the honesty of what this really looks like for a scared 17-year-old. And she she said she had dance scholarships uh, lined up for after high school, and she had, um, you know, all this, this plan for her life that she thought was going to happen. And, and she said in the story, you know, this option... To just have this quick fix, it just seems at first like, okay, that, that should be what happens. But eventually, um, you know, she, she, couldn't, she couldn't bring herself to do that, which is great. And so her, she chose life for her child, and, you know, she's very thankful that she did that. And just, you know, allowing herself to trust in this new chapter of her life and she's at college now yeah uh she's married mm -hmm. uh and uh, uh her name's annabelle and she actually originally shared the story to a pregnancy help website um that we promote and um it was such a great testimony that we just uh used it for a story mm -hmm. and she she hasn't just you know welcomed her you know daughter and gotten married and now they have a family and she's at college um, she has, uh, helped other women in her mm -hmm. situation already. Um, and so, uh, in some ways, uh, maybe more wise and committed beyond her years. Yeah. Um, and so it's an important story for a couple of reasons. One, uh, obviously, you know, the best thing for, uh, people, uh, to have a, uh, to avoid some of the horrible pitfalls in life is to... Uh, you, you know, you have a baby after you're married and <laughs> after you graduate high school. If you right. do those things, economists say your likelihood of living in poverty is uh, extremely low because um, you're in a stable relationship, uh, your child has a stable uh, environment to grow in, uh, 
you're being in, you know, in the relationships can encourage you to have a job and be responsible. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's great. Um, but we're human beings and it doesn't always work according to plan. Right. And we don't want to be in a situation where, uh, and sadly with the legality of abortion, that uh, it, it becomes an easier thing to take the life of that child than to do the right thing and mm -hmm. be responsible for the child. Um, and a lot of the reason that we're there is because uh, in society, uh, in, you know, in her particular mm -hmm. culture, in her church, and her community, um, you know, she worried if, you know, the shame would cause her life in a sense to end. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of women have abortions is they think it's the end of their life. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not. Uh, there, there's life after that's not the end of your life. Of course, your life is going to change. But in her case, she's going to college. Uh, she's married. She mm -hmm. has. She's a mom, um, and uh, she's being responsible and giving back and teaching people about the situation that she was in, and um, you know, avoiding it. And if they do find yourself in her situation, then doing the right thing, and that's great. And mm -hmm. so, I would just encourage people. You know, if you've been in that situation or you know someone in that situation, uh, it's not the end of. The world, mm -hmm. it's not the end of life. Uh, there's always an opportunity to do the right thing moving forward. And uh, if you can do that, you can be a, uh, you can have a wonderful life. Yeah. As hard as life can be, Catherine. <laughs> right. um, you, you can do the right thing and have joy in it. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again in two weeks. Have a happy Halloween.